Uh, good morning, everyone. Uh, today's scripture uh, for the message that Pastor Phillips is going to give us it comes once again from Titus chapter 1. This time we're looking at verses 10 through 16. For there are many who are insubordinate, empty talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision party. They must be silenced since they are upsetting whole families by teaching for shameful gain what they ought not to teach. One of the Cretans, a prophet of their own, said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. This testimony is true. Therefore, rebuke them sharply, that they may be sound in faith, not devoting themselves to Jewish myths and the commands of people who turn away from the truth. To the pure, all things are pure, but to the defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. But both their minds and their conscious, consciousness are defiled. They profess to know God, but they deny him by their works. They are detestable, disobedient, unfit for any good work. Amen. You can be seated. Thank you. Let's pray together. Father, it's a blessing uh, to come together with your people, uh, to come as brothers and sisters, to come as a family, and to come and sit uh, before you and before your word. God, we recognize the power it has in all of our lives that apart from your miraculous work, we would all be dead spiritually dead, even while we are alive, physically. And so, Lord, we come dependent upon that same power to awaken dead hearts and to transform uh, impure lives. Father, we have absolutely no power on our own to make the kind of transformations that really matter. Uh, So, God, we come submitting to you and dependent upon the power of your word today. We ask that truth would be spoken and that we would hear with listening ears what you would have to speak to us today. In Christ's name, amen. One of the uh, unique aspects of our time and culture is that just about every person in the world owns a megaphone. Not literally like one of those bullhorn type things, but if you've got two thumbs and internet access, you can basically make your voice known to as many people as you can imagine, right? We live in a day and age where everybody's got a platform, everybody can get their thoughts out, and uh, everybody can share the information they know. Whether it is good or not, they can share anything and everything uh, they want to. So there's a lot of positives to that. Previously, there were some pretty pretty strong gatekeepers on information and and who gets out, uh, whose information gets out. And so, you know, people like uh, mainstream media or book publishers or newspaper publishers or whoever is in charge of radio stations, they basically kind of had the, 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 the password, the key, so to speak, on that's the information that gets, that gets out. You had to get to one of those kind of main sources to get your information out. But nowadays, if you've got a smartphone or just access to a computer or something, you can get your news out. So that's good. Uh, in a lot of ways, uh, because you can say whatever, there's no filter. There's also a downside, right? There's like no filter. (laughs) There is no filter on what people say and write and send out into the world. And so both good and bad information is welcome to spread like wildfire, wildfire, however it so may choose. A study was done by MIT back in 2018, and uh, they found something pretty astounding. They found that false information spreads six times more quickly than true information. 
They researched back to uh, the bombing in uh, Boston at the Boston Marathon and uh, a, a terrorist attack in Paris and um, a, a lawsuit between Apple and Samsung. And they found that people were upwards of about 70% more likely to reshare information that was false than they were true information. That, that false claims about those kinds of events uh, were six times faster at reaching 1,500 people. Like they're measuring how long before somebody, you know. It's crazy and scary, right? That, that false information is so rapidly going out there. Thankfully, my, my job is not to uh, figure out the news and politics and international terrorist attacks and what's true and right. But I do have some news that is true and good. And I want to make sure that in all the information out there in the world, you, you know when it comes to what really matters, what really is true. False stuff may spread and does spread all the time. And it may spread very quickly because of the world we live in. But there is truth. And there's truth worth knowing and worth clinging to. And so today, like every Sunday, I want to keep pointing you to the truth. And especially today as we come and we continue in Titus 1, he, he addresses a group of false teachers. And so what's interesting, I said there's a lot of things that are unique about today, the platforms, but oddly enough, false information spreading quickly is not new. We have different methods. The mediums are new. Your phone's new. Your computer technology, internets, that's new. But false information spreading goes all the way back, not even just 2,000 years ago. I would say it goes all the way back to the garden. You remember what happened in the Garden of Eden? A little sneaky little snake came up and said, Hey, that, that fruit, that won't really kill you. Lie! There it was, false information in the garden. And it spread. Eve and Adam were like, yeah, that's great. They bought the lie and they took the bite of the fruit. False information spreads quickly. That's not just today. That has always been the case. And it happened 2,000 years ago. On a little island out in the Mediterranean Sea called Crete, Paul and Titus and a number of others had gone on this island and begun sharing the gospel. And as I thought through the timeline, I, I'm shocked at how quickly false information is spreading. We think this letter was probably about the early 60s A.D., so only 30 years after Jesus was physically on the earth. Like he was right there 30 years ago, okay, like a generation, less than a generation really. He was right there. He was on the earth, okay? But the time that the gospel came to Crete was even shorter than that. Paul and Titus and a number of others brought the gospel probably for the very first time to this little island and began sharing the good news about Jesus. And as people came to, to know Jesus, more and more people put their faith in Him, turned from their sins, became Christians. And so Paul and Titus began gathering them into local churches in each town. Paul had to, to leave for whatever reason, and he left behind Titus and probably some others to help kind of organize and get these early new churches started. So how long has it been since the gospel was just, you know, had come to there for the very first time? Maybe a year, two years, maybe five years tops. And here's Paul writing to Titus about false teachers that are there. If I was Titus, I'd be like, man, we, we just got here. How is the message already getting messed up? How is there bad information when we just started? So apparently false information spreading quickly is not new to our world. And so just like Titus had to do as Paul's writing him and instructing him, 
we too have to be discerning. We have to understand what, what is true and what isn't true. And when it comes to teachings about what is ultimately true, the ultimate truth, we have some, some, some tools, some tests to understand whether or not what we're hearing is true or not. And as Paul is writing to Titus, so we too today can use those to begin to understand what's good and what's not. Now, we, we don't know all the, the, the details around this situation and what all caused it, but I, I think by reading between the lines and understanding human nature, we can understand where some of this false teaching may have come from. Paul writes uh, uh, in verse 12 of our passage today, he says, One of the Cretans, a prophet of their own, said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. And so the, the researchers that have done the homework, they found this quote uh, was written some five or six hundred years before, uh, before Christ, so before this time, uh, by a man named Epimenides. And if you want to correct me on the pronunciation of that, you're welcome to. I'm just, you know, going with what I got. Epimenides. And um, so Paul just quotes this other guy, so not a Christian, and just says, hey, he says about the people who live on this island, they are really bad people. <laughs> even one of their own, even one of their guys says, these are immoral people. These people, man, they got a bad reputation. And so I'm just imagining what happens when the church gets going on this island. People are there and they're starting to, to kind of interact with, with Jesus. And here's this culture of people who are evil and act in certain ways. And some people who have a, a, a Jewish background have an idea. They say, hey, we, we know how to address this. Just give them some more rules. They're, they're evil people. They're doing all kinds of, of terrible things. This is how you stop the bad things from happening. Just tell them stop. Just, just make some rules, and then they'll stop, right? Does that, does that work real well for you? Does that work for your kids? If you just say stop, they always stop, right? I, that's what happens in my house. No, I'm just kidding. Just kidding. That does not happen. No, they, these, this was a, a group of people who were pagan, trying to interact now with this Jewish culture. And they're interact, inter, 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 uh, connected now, and they're trying to figure out how does this go together. The, the people in Crete were so bad that the, there was a Greek word, uh, kretizo. So coming from the word for Crete, that means to lie. So they made a verb out of their country, you know, out of their island, for describing how bad they were. They're lying. To be a Cretan, by its definition, was a liar. And so now these people with kind of this Jewish background are saying, hey, let's, let's give them some rules, and they'll, they'll begin to obey. And that, of course, isn't work. We, we shouldn't be surprised when non-Christians live like non-Christians, right? We shouldn't be surprised when people who don't know the Lord act like they don't know the Lord. But apparently caught this Jewish group off guard. So you need to know, and I need to know what they needed to know. And that's our first thing today. Maybe an obvious observation to start. Non-Christians live immoral lives. Non-Christians live immoral lives. Paul's quoting the, the, the ancient Greek writer, for the, or for the, the Cretan writer, and he's saying, hey, they don't live like Jesus did, you know? Okay, we got that. Uh, I was with our buddy Alex Cook on Friday. He'll be here uh, next Sunday. And uh, he, he said something I think is worth quoting. He said, you know, we shouldn't expect goats to act like sheep. That's uh, referencing the way Jesus described in the end, you know, non-Christians will be separated from, from Christians like goats are separated from sheep, you know. And so when we, when we meet people who are not Christians, we, we shouldn't be surprised when they are immoral. There, there shouldn't be any surprise in our culture today that people who don't follow Jesus don't live according to His standards. 
Uh, so our world, again, not that much different from the world 2,000 years ago. And so when we're around non-Christians, our goal, our primary goal, is not just to give them some more rules so that they'll start you know, acting more like we want them to, right? That doesn't work anyway, but, but our primary goal when we come in contact with people who don't know Jesus and are living like the world isn't just to change their behavior. Our primary goal is that they would meet our Savior. Our primary goal is that their hearts would be transformed, that we would speak the truth into their lives in such a way that God would begin to stir them up and change them from the inside out. If we go to around to people who don't know Jesus and try to change them from the outside in, it's not going to work. Our, our hearts are wicked. We have to be transformed from the inside out. So it's not surprising that the, for the rest of humanity, everybody around us, for all of history, humans live how they want to live. You know, these are it says lazy, lazy gluttons. So they're just got their feet propped up, eating whatever they want. You know, this is this is no shock. But Paul's addressing these false teachers. Who, who tried to work from the outside in. They tried to change the behavior instead of coming to the heart. Again, we don't get a whole lot of the details, but we can imagine how that would work out. I, I wasn't uh, alive. I'm not sure anybody in the room was, but uh, maybe the famous example from American history is the, the Prohibition area, era uh, of the 1920 is when this amendment was put in the United States that all alcohol was banned from being sold, bought, and traded, right? And it lasted for 13 years. For 13 years, Americans thought, hey, this would be the best way to solve the alcohol problem in our country. Just make it illegal, right? Well, nowadays, you know, there's all kinds of things like, you know, with like, um, uh, there's a mountain, right, called Moonshine Mountain. Because of this era when outlaw, it was, alcohol was outlawed, people didn't stop drinking. People didn't stop. It just, it just went underground, right? Making a law doesn't make behavior stop. The law was never meant to do that. It never could. The law does not have the power to actually change our actions. The law, many of these false teachers were trying to do something that only the gospel can. They were trying to use rules and laws to change people's lives. And so here's what was happening. These false Christian teachers, so to speak, their, teachers was, their, their teaching was mangling the gospel message. False teachers mangle the gospel message. Uh, these, that's why I put Christian in quotes, because obviously if they don't know the gospel, they're not really Christian. But they're claiming to be Christians, and they're completely distorting the gospel message. Uh, and if we look at what they did, we're going to recognize there's some connections to the way that false teaching spreads in our world today. Um, and if we do that, we can cherish the true gospel for what it is. So one of the first problems these false teachers were doing is they're focused on the outside instead of being focused on the heart. So if you're coming in contact with, with teachers and trying to discern whether this teaching is right and good, here's one of the first tests you can have. What, what's the focus? Is the focus just on the outside or is it focused on the inside? False teachers are more concerned with outward conformity than inward transformation. If, if teaching is just about be better and gives you no authority, no power, no, no speaking to the heart, then it, it is misleading and can be false. He references this group as being the, the circumcision party, verse 10, verse 14. They're devoting themselves to Jewish myths and the commands of men. So after the people in Crete come to know Jesus, these other people are coming along with a Jewish background and say, yeah, you can have Jesus, but you also need something else. And that's always a bad path, right? Jesus plus something else isn't the gospel. We just need, we need Jesus. 
And he will transform the way we act. But it's not Jesus plus. It's Jesus and let him work. Jesus alone. So they, what they added to it were the Old Testament ceremonial laws that Jesus had fulfilled and were no longer necessary. So they're saying, yes, follow Jesus and make sure your, your sons are circumcised and you're obeying these ritual purity laws and all these different things that were no longer necessary. In the Old Testament, those things pointed to our holy God and how we needed something to come so that we could enter into God's presence. There were some steps that needed to be taken. And so all these ceremonial laws were pointing to the fact that we can't just meander into God's presence on our own. We, there's something that has to be done. So ceremonial laws were a way of saying, you've got to take some steps. But all along those laws just pointed to how impure we were. So when Jesus came and he died for our sins, he came to us. He came to us. The ritual laws, therefore, don't, they don't make any sense now. Jesus has already torn the curtain. He has come to us. And so those laws are, have been fulfilled, and we're not called to follow them like that. It's easy in our day for faith, to, for, for, for religion and Christianity to be preached in such a way that's just be a good person. So many times Christianity gets, gets watered down and boiled down to just, hey, live better. You, you'll be a good Christian if you'll just live better. And I hope you can hear that that is just outside-in teaching. It's teaching that's just focused on the externals and not focused on the heart. If, if all Christianity has to offer the world is be a better person, then it's, it's empty, it's void, there is no power, there's no authority in that, and it won't work anyway. So many families uh, have, have you know, one person who is a Christian or, or one side of the family who is a Christian, and, and, and it can get painted like, hey, there's, there's the goody-two-shoe of the family. Maybe you're the, the only Christian in your class at school, and they think, they, they just boil you down to just, hey, yeah, that's the person who doesn't cuss as much, you know, or whatever. That we, we boil it down to as if, as if our faith was just a handful of behaviors, a handful of don'ts that we don't do that other people do. But here's the, the major problem with reducing our faith down to just a few outward characteristics. You can have a cup that is shined and perfect and just beautiful on the outside. On the inside, it's filled with dirt. You, you can have a, a rock, a huge rock, that you have pressure washed and, and painted, and it is a pretty looking rock, big rock. But on the inside, you realize this is just a, a, a tomb cover. On the inside, it's just dead bones. That's two metaphors, two illustrations Jesus uses for the Pharisees in Matthew chapter 23. He says, outwardly, these Pharisees, they're like a shiny cup. They're like a whitewashed tomb. On the outside, they look great. But on the inside, they're filthy, they're dead. They're useless. If all we offer the world is shining them up on the outside and doing nothing with what's on the inside, we have given the world nothing, no power. And if you're a Christian, a lot more has happened to you than just shining you up on the outside. We have more to offer. And false teachers just focused on the outside, they're missing the point. Moralistic codes Laws, they, they expose our sins, but they don't transform us. They don't change us. They don't have the power to deliver us from sins. If we only focus on the ritualistic, outward demands, then it will have no effect on our hearts. We've got to go deeper than that. So that's the first major sign of a false teacher. They just, they just focus on outward conformity and say nothing about inward transformation. 
False teachers are focused on the wrong theme because they have the wrong source of information, wrong source uh, of their truth. Paul writes in verse 14, they're devoting themselves to the commands of people. And this is probably a direct reference to Isaiah 29, 13. Jesus himself quotes this verse multiple times. That verse says, Because these people draw near with their mouths and honor me with their lips, while their hearts are far from me, and their fear of me is of a commandment taught by men. So this is another sign of a clear, clearly a false teacher. The teaching is based on men, not on God. We in this room and as Christians all around the world, on our own have no authority. Our authority comes from the Bible. We, the only way we have authority to speak into somebody's life, to give truth to somebody's life, is that it doesn't come from us. We are not the source of what truth is. Truth is based outside of us. It's based in who God is and the word that He has given to us. False teachers base their truth on something man-made. And that's what leads people astray. Maybe that was just a 2,000-year-ago problem. Is that still a problem today? No, of course. It goes on all the time today. And what's especially dangerous in our world is that because the Bible generally has a good reputation, right? Like even non-Christians will respect this in some way or another. All the time, people will stand up with a closed book and say, the Bible says, and quote you a verse or a truth or just one little tidbit and take it out of context and take it to mean something God never intended for it to mean. So we have to be especially discerning when we hear somebody, are they really teaching the truth of God's word or are they teaching something that comes from man? One example would be the, the, the prosperity gospel movement. That one's maybe the one that gets the most attention kind of in our, our circles today, but it's worth pointing out because that movement will, will take a verse out and try to preach a gospel to you that says, hey, what God wants most is for you in this life to, to be healthy and wealthy. And if you are healthy and wealthy, that's a sign of God's blessing upon your life. And if you're not healthy and wealthy, that means you must be in sin. So if you'll just repent, then God will bless you. The only problem with that teaching is like all of the Bible. Jesus, the perfect Son of God, only lived 30 some odd years and was crucified at the end. You want to talk about the, he was crucified with nothing, like poor and dead. That's what they did to the very best one. Is ever, talk about blessing? Take the Apostle Paul. I mean, he writes over and over again, shipwrecked, beaten, starved, following God on his mission. So apparently, God can bless people in ways that look different than health and wealth and prosperity. We've got to be really careful and discerning. When people quote a Bible verse to us, that we say, okay, what, what, did, the, what did the original author, what did God intend when he inspired Paul to write that that to Titus. And it takes time. It takes effort. you got to dig in. We've got to be slow to take somebody's teaching if it's not coming from God. This happened a lot. There was a, you know, a kind of a generation of, of TV evangelist scandals, you know, of different ways that people were focused on, uh, on the wrong things and the different ways those got exposed. And he, he, here in Titus 1, he talks about how the, these evil teachers are insubordinate. So they're not submitting to God's law. Last week we talked about how, or to God's word in general. And, and last week we talked about how he's appointing elders. So the structure for good teachers is that you're under elders. There's accountability. So if a teacher's going out on their own and has no accountability, they can be led astray and they start teaching things of man. Teaching things of, of men shows up in all kinds of religious cults that, that look like Christianity. And 
listen, I, I don't throw stones. I've got no desire to, to tear somebody down. But you've got to be aware of, of things that are out there that are dangerous. So there are things that kind of look like Christianity and yet are teachings of man that are not Christianity. So take Mormonism, which holds at least part of our Bible to be true, but has a book of Mormon written in the 1800s, not inspired by God, and has all kinds of false teachings because of that. Or take the Jehovah's Witness, which elevate the governing body, their governing body's teaching of Scripture. Really, they say it's equal to or, or interpretation, but it's above it because they deny the Trinity. They deny that God the Father sent God the Son, and by the power of the Holy Spirit comes and dwells in us. The three persons of God are one essential essence, one being. And if you deny that core thing, then it's not the faith. It's not Christianity. Even sometimes in the Roman Catholic Church, the official position of the Roman Catholic teaching is that their tradition, their interpretation of Scripture is on par with the authority of God's Word. And so the, when the Pope says something, they say, that's, that's the final word. No, the, the Bible is the final word. We've got to be really careful with lots of things that look like Christianity but are actually based in the, the teaching of man. We come back to God's Word over and over again because that's the only place we have any authority. False teaching is based not on man's word, I mean, not on God's word, it's on man's word. That's why it's false. And that frequently leads another to another mark of these false teachers. Remember, these are trying to they're trying to help these immoral people in Crete. And yet Paul is calling them out and saying their lives look just as bad or worse than the people they're trying to teach. In fact, when he quoted that about the uh, the, the Crete prophet. Uh, in verse 12, uh, that they're, they're these um, liars, evil beasts, and lazy gluttons. He's actually quoting that about the false teachers, not the, Cretes, the Cretan people themselves. They're insubordinate. They're empty talkers. They're deceivers, verse 10. Verse 16, they profess to know God, but they deny Him by their works. They're detestable, disobedient, unfit for any good work. Ouch. He didn't like, you know, veil that one at all. So they're unfit for anything good. These people who claim to be teachers, their lives don't reflect the very thing they're trying to teach. Last week when we talked about what, what makes an elder, we said character matters most. If, if somebody's life is not mirroring their teaching, if their life is full of hypocrisy, then, then we shouldn't be following what they're teaching. That's why Paul emphasizes that so much. True Christians who've repented to follow Jesus, their lives should reflect that work of God in their life. Or Jesus said it this way. He said, you'll know a tree by its fruit. You'll know a tree by its fruit. If there are false teachers out there in your life, people that are speaking in your life, how, how are they living? How, how are they living? Watch their lives. Watch their life and their doctrine closely. Christianity is not, not based on works, but people who have been transformed by the gospel it will show up in their lives. They're not going to be perfect, but will show up in the way they live. And verse 11 shows an even more specific way that shows up. It says that they were teaching for shameful gain. So that would be a fourth mark of a false teacher. If somebody's teaching and yet making a tremendous profit off of their teaching, off of Christian teaching, then they're probably in it for the wrong reasons. And we've got to be careful. It may be a false teacher altogether. This is painful all the time we hear of this. If a pastor is raising money for a jet or something. You know, it's like, what? <laughs> you know, I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't get it. Um, and again, I don't, I'm not throwing stones at what I respect. Here's what I'll, I'll say it in the positive direction. I respect a man like John Piper, who has been in ministry for a long time, 30, 40 years probably now. Uh, he has written over 50 books, millions of copies of, of books sold. 
and he has never taken a single royalty from a book. If somebody could profit off of being a Christian, it would be John Piper. He has a set salary that his ministry has, has set and published. It's public information. And any royalty that comes from a book goes into a ministry. He doesn't see any of it. That's somebody who's saying, I will not let greed ruin a ministry. I will not let greed overtake what God's work is doing. It is so easy for the temptations of this world to distract us from what matters. False teachers get distracted that way. They may be concerned with outward rather than inward. They may be based on man, not on God, living immoral lives, living for shameful game. All these different ways, and there's more here. You could keep going of ways that Paul is saying, watch out, Titus. Watch out for false teaching. And it's amazing to me that the same kind of teachers, same way, shows up in our world so often. But listen to the, to the gracious intention that Paul has even for Titus that long ago. Verse 11, he's told to silence them. Verse 13, he's told to rebuke them. So Titus has the authority to, to make the, the, these leaders stop. We've got we to stop the false teaching. But why? Why do they do it? What's the goal? Verse 13, therefore rebuke them sharply, sharply that they may be sound in faith. Listen, any false teacher, that if, if there's false teaching that happens here, if you know, something happens here, we're not, we're not supposed to just cast people off. We're not supposed to get rid of them. Their first goal is that they would come back. They'd be sound in faith. Paul's sending Titus all throughout the island to help with these churches. And where there's false teaching, he wants to rebuke them, to quiet them, and bring them back into right thinking. The gospel is a gospel of grace. We have all received grace, so when our lives start to go astray, when we're under the accountability of, of God's Word and the fellowship together, God is the one bringing us back, bringing us back into the fold like a shepherd chasing after a lost sheep. That's the goal. False teachers may mangle the gospel message, and our goal is to bring them back to the true heart of it. And the way to address false teaching is to bring them back to the true gospel message itself. So if non-Christians are living immoral lives and false teachers are mangling the gospel message, you know what true Christians are doing? True Christians magnify the gospel message. Here's how you really know the difference between true and false teaching. If a false teacher is teaching, they're going to take the gospel message and distort it and tangle it and weave it in all kinds of junk, right? Uh, one one uh, writer, one pastor says they, they do... Um, uh, multiple, or they do mathematics with the gospel. They add to it, they subtract to it, they divide it, they multiply it, you know, do all kinds of other things. The role of good teaching is just to put this for you, before you, to magnify it, to just help you see the gospel for what it is because it doesn't need anything else. Anything you add to it actually takes away from it. There's, there's a good news worth knowing. And we're called as teachers and as people who are teaching our children. You, you, if, you are, if anybody looking up to you, you are a teacher, whether you know it or not. So all of us are called to magnify the good news of the gospel. Now magnify can go one of two ways. I don't mean magnify like this. A microscope magnifies, doesn't it? A microscope takes something that's really, really small and makes it big enough for you to see. That's not my job. My job is more like a telescope. You know what a telescope does? A telescope takes something that is enormous, just huge, and is so big, but I have a hard time seeing it. It's beautiful. It's stunning. Have you ever seen Saturn, pictures of Saturn? You know, The only way we know that is because of a telescope with a beautiful picture of this incredible thing 
that we just can't quite even get our heads around. Our job as teachers is to magnify the gospel. It is bigger than all we can get our heads around. And it is so beautiful if we can just magnify it in such a way that we can see it for what it is. That's our job as teachers. That's what keeps us faithful to the Word. And he's going to, in this letter, in Titus, Paul's going to unpack that in some of those beautiful passages, I think, in all the New Testament. But he gives us a hint, even here in this verse. He says in verse 15, or in this passage, in verse 15, he says, To the pure, all things are pure. What he's getting at here is that it's not about outward works. It's about our hearts. If God has transformed us, then we are pure. He calls us pure. He has transformed our hearts. You and I on our own, even as Wanda prayed earlier, we are not, we're not pure by ourselves. We are pure because God sees us through His Son. So He's talking about us when He says, to the pure. He's talking about people who have had a transformed heart. He's talking about from the inside out. And when we see that, when we point that way as teachers, we point to what God has done in the gospel by transforming our lives, we are magnifying His message. The gospel message is that we have, we who are sinful have now been made pure. Man, if you, if you don't know the gospel, this is the good news. This is the true teaching you need to hear. That you and I were created in God's image to live in right relationship with Him. But because of our own pride, we rejected God and turned our back on Him. And even while we were sinners, God sent His Son, perfect and righteous and holy, to die in our place so that our sins could be forgiven and we could be reconciled back to God. So now he tells us for everybody who repents of their sins and put their faith in Jesus Christ, we can live with him today, today and for eternity. That we can walk with him as God intended for us to do. That's the good news of the gospel. That's the message worth proclaiming. That is truth worth magnifying. And any other teaching about what matters most is just maligning, just working against, just mangling the gospel message. True teaching is focused on inward transformation, not just outward conformity. True teaching is based on God's word, not man's word. True teachers have lives that live in line with their message and don't live for just material gain. True teaching magnifies the gospel message. Have you ever uh, looked into how people uh, study to, to be able to, to figure out counterfeit money. Do you know about this? When people have, you know, every time there's a $100 bill, and American currency especially is so useful all around the world. People all around the world use American currency as kind of a bedrock that is no stable. And so a $100 bill is just a very valuable thing. And so the U.S. Treasury has put all this work into making that, that little piece of paper really, really hard to counterfeit. But other people have worked really, really hard to do their best to try to counterfeit it, haven't they? And there's just no way that the people who are trained on this can, can look into every possible different way of all the false versions of that $100 bill. Do you know what they do? They study the true thing so, so deeply and so in a detailed way that when they're holding the right thing, they know they're holding the right thing. You know what I mean? So if there's a little something off, they, didn't, they may not be able to figure out exactly what the, the counterfeiter did, but they know this one's right, this one's wrong. You and I could, could spend our lives trying to track down every false teaching, and we would never get to all of them, right? But if we'll spend our lives magnifying this, the true gospel message, when we come in contact with something else, we'll go, 
Something's not quite right about that. Something's not quite right about that. As Christians, we've got to be discerning to say, this is the word I'm going to hold on to. God has sent His Son. He's given everything. And I want to live my life for Him. Because He, He is the, the treasure. It's above all else. He's the pearl of great price. And my life wants to be devoted. I want my life to be devoted to Him. Let's pray. Father, what a blessing it is to have Your Word that you have spoken truth to us. Lord, it is so humbling, so humbling, God, that you, you give us your word, that you give us truth, that you have come to us so we don't have to live our lives searching for truth. You, you've given it to us. God, may we resist the temptations of our world to fall after false teaching that may seem easier or more attractive for whatever reason, and God, instead, may we devote our lives to the truth. Lord, we, we recognize that especially with how quickly false news travels, it can be easy for us to get caught up in things that don't matter. But God, may you pull our hearts back to you today to focus on the truth that you are God. You are God alone. And you have loved us enough to die for us. God, may our lives reflect your glory and your majesty in all that we do. In Christ's name, amen. Hey, as we close today, I invite you to evaluate who you're following, what you're following. Where is there truth that you need to seek out? Where do you need to seek the true gospel message? What does that look like for you and for your family? If you want to pray, you can come down to the altar. You can pray with me. Uh, here beside it, or you can pray there in your seat. Pray to respond to the Lord today.